Hello and welcome to Under a Rock with Brielle and Gerlin. Hello, everybody. Hey. Today we are discussing, we're continuing discussing uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, book three. And we are talking about episodes nine. No, seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine. Why is six afraid of <laughs> Yes. I feel seven, like you eight, told nine. that joke before. Yeah, I think for maybe for book two or book one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah, I mean another good batch of episodes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. When and, isn't it? And this episode and this like little block has the the Halloween esque episode. Right. Like, I think they they released the Bloodbender episode like around Halloween, if I'm remembering. Um, I can't tell you for sure. Oh. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It would make sense if they did. Yeah. All right. So book three, episode seven, the Runaway. Yes. Um, one thing that I love about this episode, and I love about, um, I love when TV shows do this in general or movies, when they do kind of an in media res kind of thing. Like you start the episode in this one particular spot, and then it's like three days earlier, or a year earlier, or you know, ten hours earlier, and you kind of see what led up to that point. Because at this point in the show, we know Katara, we know Toph, we know that this is probably not as it appears. Like right. we know that it's not really as bad as it seems so it's it's fun to kind of go back in time and see like what actually happened you know (laughs) yeah so the gang is uh training ang and you okay Mm. Uh, the gang is training ang and uh i love that that sock is like sleek attack (laughs) like it doesn't work if you shout it out yeah which is a trope not even a trope i see like a lot of cartoons or whatever they whenever it's a sneak attack they yell yeah i'm just like how is that a sneak attack exactly i think it's it's meant to be the joke but also like sokka's done this before right like when in like the first episode when he attacks zuko with uh the little hammer thing that he has um he like yells and zuko's like (laughs) like way to give up your location and yeah bye gone yeah like (laughs) he has to learn that (laughs) but it's really cool to see um them training yeah especially working together right yeah because obviously we know that ang is mastering both um water and earth currently but we don't we haven't seen them train in a while yeah so to see them train again is like it's kind of cool and um and got the blindfold on and like he's learning to just use his other senses not rely on his sight which Mm -hmm. was cool yeah and he's doing a great job i mean he katara and toff are both really good teachers to him because obviously he's retaining it and, yeah. and obviously he is mastering it himself. Um, but unfortunately, Katara and Toph start to fight and they get into a big thing and um, they decide to take a break. <laughs> I just love like when they when they stop their poses. Yeah. Top was ready to drop an elbow on yeah, Katara. She, <laughs> she was ready to do it. They were ready to take this into like WWE mud wrestling. Like yes. that's where they were going. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, they were they were both ready to like kill Throw each other. They yeah. were ready. Um, yes. And so they, uh, Toph, Sokka, and Aang go into the town that they're in. Do they ever say what town it is or it's just a town? Just a town. And... Uh, they they only have like one silver piece left. They only they have like very little money. So Toph sees this guy doing the like ball in the cup thing. She is able to tell that he is basically cheating. Um, and so she's like, "Well, uh, we can get that money. Like we can scam him back." Because like I mean, to be fair, this guy is cheating the blind. Like he's literally cheating the blind. So he's not a good person. No. Um, so I, I, for one, I appreciate and I applaud Toph for scamming him right back. Good for her. Good for you, Toph. Like, (laughs) um, so Toph is able to, um, win some money and then she wins even more money. And then it kind of becomes like a little montage of them pulling all these scams (laughs) on these people. Uh, she does the oldest scam in the book, which is pretend to get hit by a car. (laughs) Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, damn, they're doing insurance fraud now. Yeah. (laughs) Because before, when it was just the games, yeah, the games I understood, yeah, like just you know cheat at a game, whatever. But that was straight up insurance fraud, yeah, straight up. Also, like I didn't notice this the first time I watched it. Um, There's a lot of corruption in the uh, Fire Nation police force, whatever. I mean, if that's what it's called, Um, because the guy when he thinks he hit Toph, 
he he sees Sokka, who's like, I'm a police officer, and the guy is like crying and begging, and then he gives Sokka like all this money. Mm-hmm. He's literally like paying off Sokka as a police officer. Like that's bad. Yeah, that's corruption. Toph could be seriously injured or dead. <laughs> And, and this guy knows yeah. that if he cries and begs and gives the guy enough money, he can get away scot-free. Mm-hmm. Zuko, please fix your corruption. <laughs> like, when you become Fire Lord, that's the first thing you gotta do. I mean, can, are you really surprised? Uh, I mean, the... no, it, it's very topical yeah. right now. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so so they do that, and then they get back with all this money and everything, and Katara's like, you guys shouldn't be doing this, like, it's really dangerous. Um... You know, we're already running from that guy. And Sokka's like, I got a name for him. Sparky Sparky Boob Man, which is a really good name. I like it. I like that name. Uh, but Compassion Man just hits different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> and, um, and you know, Toph kind of doesn't understand why what she's doing is so bad. Um, but Katara is right in this instance. Like, Toph really is risking the group because, as we later see, she gets a wanted poster. So that brings awareness to who she is and who she hangs out with. And, you know, it, it kind of leads Combustion Man to them. Um, you know, as of right now, the only people who know that Aang is alive is Combustion Man and, like, Zuko. Right. So, you know, Toph, by doing all this is really she's putting the team in a lot of danger um and i think she just doesn't realize it because you know she's just 12 and she's kind of selfish like that's one of that's one of toss i think you know more negative traits um is that she is selfish and she's very very independent to the point of she doesn't understand how her actions affect other people but i think through traveling with the gang she learns that you know but she has little moments where she slips up or forgets or whatever yeah and she doesn't like being called out on it no not at all Mm-mm. not at all because you know it's so funny katara like she could be a psychologist i mean she hits the nail on the head precisely like mm-hmm. she reads toff like a book and she understands that toff is acting out because she's scared because she's afraid because she's angry and you know she is taking out all those feelings on, you know, petty larceny, you know, right. like, um, she, so she's like, okay, I won't scam anymore. She keeps scamming. And, uh, they have the funniest joke, which is Sokka's like, Toph, do you know what I found in the village? This! And it's like, well, it sounds like a sheet of paper. <laughs> a little later on, when Katara's like, what do you have to say about this? And she's like, I'm blind! What is good with you people like come on yeah that's oh i laugh every time that's such a funny gag like both of them being like look at this paper and she's like i can't (laughs) it just really speaks to how everyone sees her yeah because although she is blind they cheat her like anyone else exactly yeah you know yeah and and as i said before the thing that's so great is that the jokes are never at toff's expense they're always at everyone else's for forgetting that she's blind yeah which is nice um they yeah, see, they see her as a capable person. Yeah, exactly. You know, they she's able to move and interact in the world so well that I they just forget that she's blind, you yeah. know. Um but basically her and Katara have this huge fight and Toph is like, Stop acting like our mom, like you're not my mom, like I don't need you, bye. Mm. And Katara's like, bye, and they go off. The thing is, Katara is the mom. Yeah. She is the mom of the group. And the the sad thing is is that it's not by choice. I don't think she would have chosen to be the mom of the group if she had been given a choice. I think she was forced into that position, not by Aang, not by Sokka, but by Hakoda. Mm. Um, unknowingly, I don't mm. think he did it on purpose, but as Sokka tells Toph, you know, when <clears throat> their mother died, Katara stepped up to the plate. And Katara was young. She was like seven or eight when that happened. Um, and I don't know where Grand Grand was. Maybe she was there. Maybe she wasn't. But it's it, the way that Sokka talks about it, you kind of assume that Hakoda fell apart, which, you know, is fair. I mean, his wife died. Um, so Katara had to kind of step up and become the mother. And, you know, when you've when you've been that way for so long, it's very hard to step out of it. Mm. You know, one of the sad things about this show is is just the theme of 
the loss of childhood because all of these kids, except, you know, maybe Toph a little bit or, or Aang before, never really had a childhood. You know, none of them got to have a normal, happy childhood. You know, Sokka and Katara's were, was plagued by war and death and fear. You know, Aang had a pretty normal childhood, but then it abruptly ended and now he's faced with, you know, crazy decisions and power. You know, Toph was coddled and secluded her entire life. Zuko was abused. Like, you know, even like Suki, you know, was trained as a warrior as a child. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, children deserve hobbies and it's okay if it's, you know, something a little more militaristic, but like she was trained as a warrior with the intent to fight a war, you know, and mm -hmm. You know, even Azula, May, and Tylee, like all of these kids grew up with with terrible childhoods. And I think this is just kind of a continuation of that idea that Katara was never really allowed to be a kid. She had to be in the mom. Right. And I think it's also, at least maybe I'm reading into it, maybe I'm not, but I also feel like you can sense that Sokka is not okay with it. Like it bothers him that Katara has kind of taken on this role. Because Sokka's the big brother. Like, he's supposed to be the one to protect Katara and take care of Katara. Like, their father tells him to. And yet, he... I feel like a lot of Sokka's insecurity comes from his perceived failure at his role of big brother. You know, he is not a bender. So he has his little sister, who's been taking care of him since they were little. And not only that... But she also has this immense power and she's able to control it so well. Well, what can he do? And I think that's where a lot of his insecurity comes from. Because he has this need and this desire to be the overprotective big brother who always saves the day. Which I, I kind of think he is. Maybe not so overprotective, but he does save the day. But, but instead, he's faced with a little sister who kind of blows him out of the water. And it's the one taking care of him. You know, I think that's where, not resentment, because I don't think he resents Katara, but I think that's where a lot of his internal issues come from. I could see that. Yeah. I don't fully, I don't fully agree on the idea that maybe he, you, right, you didn't say resentment, but like he kind of, like a little annoyed that yeah. Katara's that role. I don't, I don't fully agree with that only, only because in the beginning, even though he's not like this anymore. But in the very first episode, you know, he's talking about how, well, Katara's complaining about washing his socks. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, well, you know, it's the force to wash my yeah. socks. Like, who's going to do it? So I I've, I personally believe that he, he, he finds comfort that Katara's that way. Yeah. Um, the bending part, I do, I yeah. do agree with that. Like, maybe that, that's a source of his insecurities. The yeah. fact that he's not a bender and she's a bender and everything. But... Her taking on the um, the motherly role of his life, I don't, I don't think that that causes anything with him personally. I mean, you could be right. I mean, they're just cartoon characters, right, you right. know. I'm just putting my own, right. you know, <laughs> on them. But um, well, yeah, I, I, you could make a case that his like the the way that he was, especially in the beginning of like super serious. We have to do X Y Z right now, and like you have to listen to me, and and that sort of like kind of pompous behavior that he ex exhibited that could have been a reaction to her telling him what to do that and him true. feeling like he has to um like go along with it yeah but the thing that gets me is like he loves her so much he really really does um which is beautiful but Sokka says like oh when I think about my mother I see Katara's face and it's like oh yeah but also like Sokka, all you have to do is look in the mirror. It looks just I like think, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was just they had one kind of face shape or a couple of face shapes for people of the water tribes, you know, to make animation easier. But as we later see, I feel like Sokka looks a lot like Kaya. Hmm. You know, I think like, I think Katara looks like more of a combination of her parents, but I think Sokka looks a lot like Kaya. Okay. You know, so all I you have to do is look in the mirror. But he probably just doesn't like really. He probably doesn't think of it that, yeah. that way, you know. Um, yeah, that's so sad that they don't have any 
way of really remembering what she looks like. That's so sad. No photos or anything. No, yeah. No. This episode really knows how to play with tone. Yes. And, and play with it well. Like, you know, sometimes in, in media, cartoons, movies, whatever, there'll be a tone shift and it'll be out of nowhere. Just be like, what the, like, why? It was just all happy and joyful and now it's all dark. Like, it, it you know, the progression wasn't smooth. Yeah. It, didn't, it didn't make any sense. With with this episode, how it was all silly and fun in the beginning with them pulling the scams and and then they they lead you to the tone shift with the fight mm-hmm. between Katara and Toph. And then you get this gut punch yeah. of um Sokka and Toph venting to one another. Yeah. And then it goes back to seemingly silly, but then it gets serious because it's really combustion man. Yeah. I set the whole thing up. And then it's all serious and then it ends kind of silly again with the line of um I know what to call him, Combustion Man. And then Toph is like, all right, that's great, Sokka. Now let's get out of here before Combustion Man gets us. He's like, see, it works so well. Yeah. It's like the way they play with tone is so is, is well executed. Yeah, and I, I've always appreciated that. I feel like they're very good at um, keeping things light without getting too ridiculous mm-hmm. and, and going heavier without getting too depressing. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 really important that Sokka told Toph that story because yeah. she needed to understand why Katara was the way that she was. Because I'm sure to Katara, her mothering comes from a fear of, well, if I don't take care of these people, something bad is going to happen to them. Because I couldn't, as we later find out, like, because she, like, left her mother, I mean, she was told to and it was better that way. Like, her mother was killed. And so I'm sure... You know, this is me putting my, you know, minor psychology and like knowledge on it that she mothers because she cares so deeply about everybody, you know? Yeah. And also, like, just to say, like, if it weren't for Katara mothering them, they wouldn't have gotten anything done. That is true. Yeah. Like, they, they need her, unfortunately, and fortunately, to be the mom because, like, they're a bunch of, like, kids and they're not going to get anything done if it wasn't for her. I mean, if we really want to get into it, they would have died in the desert. Yeah. If oh, it wasn't oh yeah. If it, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, but uh, something else I want to bring up is, so while Katara and Toph are fighting, Sokka's like, oh, let's let's send a note with hockey. <laughs> um, and he explains his plan that he's going to send a note to Katara from Toph. And I love Aang because Aang's like, you know, Sokka, I'm constantly amazed by your intelligence. Like, <laughs> Aang is so hype for Sokka. He's always, like, backing him up and supporting him. Like, Aang really loves Sokka yeah. and really, like, is impressed and, like, admires him. And I, I don't feel, I feel like we don't talk about that enough. It's a really nice brotherly love yeah, that they got going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I love their friendship and mm. I love the the respect that Aang shows Sokka. Like, it called, it call, <laughs> I hit the mic. <laughs> no, you're fine. It calls back to um, the previous episode, Sokka's Master, where you and I were saying that, like, the thing that makes the show so great is that none of the characters are ever, like, mean to Sokka about his, you know, lacking abilities, like, in bending. Like, Toph, I think, you know, made fun of him in the beginning, but ultimately everybody on the team respects him so much. So I just, I love that. And it's just, um, I forgot which episode you mentioned this, but... They had like a Tweedledee tweeting. Tweedledum thing. Um, was it the one where they were in the Earth Kingdom and they were trying to sneak into the party? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. So I think this is like another one. Yeah. When, uh, <laughs> it's, it's two halves of a whole idiot. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what you said. And when uh, when hockey comes back and Aang's just like, should we send a note to Toph? <laughs> and Saga's just like, I think we're going to run into a similar problem. Yeah. <laughs> Also, like, like Sokka, I also don't know how messenger hawks slash, like, pigeons work. I had to ask my mom. I was like, Mom, how do, how do messenger pigeons work? Because I never understood it. Like, how do pigeons just, like, know where to go? Where to go? And the thing is, it's not that, like, the pigeon just magically knows where to go. It's that the pigeon has their home, and then they have the few places that they know where to go. Because they've been trained to go to those specific places. So it's not like one pigeon can go anywhere. It's like, oh, I got to send a note to 
the southern water tribe you can send this pigeon because this pigeon or hawk knows how to get to the southern water tribe it knows how to go there it knows how to come back okay so the thing with with like a homing pigeon or a hawk in this case is that you shouldn't really buy one because you would have to train it to know to come back to your house mm-hmm. whereas all the talks in that place know to come back to that place that's like the post office and then they go out and they come back so that's how homing pigeons work okay yeah i never knew that i I never knew that that was how they worked but yeah it's 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 they it's not that they know how to go everywhere they just know how to go a specific place and they know how to come back okay um yeah learn something new every day yeah exactly also Sokka should name everything from now on i mean Hockey, Sparky, Sparky, Boom Man, <laughs> Foo Foo, Cuddly Poops. He just, he's an expert at naming things. <laughs> he is. Good bug, Um, Yeah, so uh, basically Katara, you know, hears Sokka telling Toph the whole situation. And she's like, you know what, Toph? Let's you and me do one last scam. Yeah, girl heist. We love to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts off well. Like Katara, you know, fake turns Toph in and we're back at the beginning of the episode. And when she goes to get the reward, she finds out that uh, Combustion Man found them through Toph's poster and it's a trap. Mm -hmm. Toph is in a cell of wood and they're all alone, basically. And Katara realizes that she can use her sweat as water to waterbend. So that's really, really cool. That was ingenious. Yeah, that was really, really fun. Um, Time, well, one thing that like kind of confused me is like, how did they know that Toph could metal bend? Because it wasn't like she really showed her metal bending during the scams or anything. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I guess even if they didn't know that she could metal bend... I guess maybe they put her in a wood cage just to play it safe. Hmm. You know? Maybe. Yeah. I I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe they did know that she metal bend. Maybe. I'm trying to think if, if Combustion Man saw her bend metal. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, either way, I mean, yeah. she's in a wood cage. Yeah. And, um, and Katara is able to... Get enough sweat and cut the bars. And Toph is like, yeah, you're a sweaty, stinky, like, master. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Um, and they break out because they realize that, like, Combustion Man is going towards Aang and Sokka. And I-, I love that Aang is like, oh, no, it's Sparky, Sparky, Boom Man. Like, he just goes along with it. I mm-hmm. love that. Aang, Aang really loves Sokka, man. I tell you. And what I love about that also is that it just shows... Sometimes you have to hear your ideas out loud yeah. to know that they work or they don't work. They don't work, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not every idea is a golden one. Yeah. Um, so they're fighting against Combustion Man. And um, I love that, like, it, it's kind of funny that, like, one little pebble is enough to just kind of knock him out because it hits him right on the center of that eye thing that he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, but... They are able to escape using all of their combined powers and everything. And um, and they get away, thankfully. And Toph kind of has this moment where she's like, Atara, you were right. I'd like to write a letter to my parents. You know, I do miss them and I do want to talk to them. And so that's a really sweet way to end the, the episode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, good, good episode. I, yeah. I love the uh, kind of the, what, what would you call it, a double entendre with the title? Is that how double entendre works? Am I using this word correctly? Um, you mean the double meaning. Double A meaning. double entendre implies that there's something like sexual with one of the meanings. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Now I know not to use. Yeah. Because um, they call Toph the runaway because she will scam you and then run away. Yeah. But she's actually a runaway. Yeah. I thought that was kind of Yeah, that's true. Cool. I didn't even think of that. Mm. Yeah. Also, I just wrote in my notes, aw, Sokka loves hockey. <laughs> Where did hockey go? Yeah. Hmm. We never see him again. We don't. I know. Like, damn. He probably just went back to his little, like, homing post office thing. But still, like, Sokka bought him. Yeah, with money. <laughs> yeah. You just send him away. Whatever. Something, one last thing that I love about this episode is <laughs> Toph acting like a sugar mama. When she, like, comes back, she's uh, like, here, here, Sokka, make yourself some armor, take some money, bye. <laughs> <laughs> love that. 
She's like, you love expensive things. Like, yeah. just take this. Yeah. Might as well just take the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So this was this was a really good episode. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, it really um, straddled the tone expertly. Yes. It was really well done. All right. So I guess on to the next episode. The Puppet Master. The Puppet Master. Dun, dun, so the kids are in a forest. They're telling spooky stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katara tells the best one. It, it honestly, it was pretty creepy. Like I remember watching and I was like, ooh, spooky. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't scared because, you know, but I was like, ooh, spooky. And then Hama shows up and she's like, oh, you kids shouldn't be in this forest. Like it's really dangerous. Like I have an in. Come with me. She, her voice, that's mom from Futurama. It's oh okay. Yeah. I I I was like watching the episode. And I was like, that voice sounds so familiar. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's mom. <laughs> I was wondering too. I was like, yeah, okay, mom from Futurama. Um, just uh, again, like the who of who and voice acting. Yeah, the exactly. show has. Yeah, especially you know for someone to just be in like a one episode thing is is speaks to the quality of the show and the yeah. way that they probably compensated or treated their their actors. Mm-hmm. You know, um. So they go to the inn with her and it's so funny because like she basically tells them that she's the one doing it. Like she basically is like, oh, yeah, you got to stay out of the woods on a full moon. Like it gets so dangerous. And they're like, yeah, but you were there. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, like she literally is like pointing a big sign at herself that she's the one doing it. Like (laughs) it's so funny. But everyone is like, "Eh, I don't know. This place is a little creepy. It's a little weird. Sokka just immediately falls asleep. Gotta love that. You gotta love a guy who can just cock out. <laughs> out like a light. Yeah. I love that he's like all over the place when he wakes up. <laughs> they they hang around with her and Sokka has like a weird feeling about her. And he um, basically with the gang, they start snooping around. So he finds these puppets and Katara's like, hey, she's allowed to have a hobby. Like you shouldn't be looking through her house. It's really rude. She was nice to, uh, to us and opened up her home. And they go up to an attic and they see like a little box behind a locked door. The thing that I think is so cool is Toph using the meteorite to like as like a moldable clay Mm -hmm. and becoming anything like that's so cool. That's so clever and creative and so interesting. Um, It really speaks to Toph's like power that she's able to do that because, you know, even though meteorite is a very different type of rock than just like a rock you find in the dirt. Be, to be able to mold it constantly probably takes a lot of energy and skill. So that's impressive. So they open the door and they find uh, in the box like a little comb. And it's a water tribe comb because Hama is from the Southern Water Tribe. And she wanted to make them a big feast to like kind of give them a little taste of home. Um, she mentions that they have like a sea prune substitute and Aang is like, He's <laughs> <laughs> like, great. <laughs> wonderful this again yeah uh and there's something that kind of makes me sad i this could i wish that this not that i wish this could have been but uh this could have been such a heartwarming episode yeah like if hama had not been who she was this could have been a really nice episode of like katara and Sokka just getting a moment to like be with someone who's their person like who's who's from their tribe and you know maybe show a few things to toff and ang and like you know, not feel like they're so alone. You know, it could have been really nice. We almost got it. We almost got it. Um, but basically, um, Hama says that she was in the Southern Water Tribe and the Fire Nation came and started to basically cull all the waterbenders and she was taken prisoner and that's how she ended up here in the Fire Nation. Um, it's sad because you can see how big and expansive the Southern Water Tribe once was. Yeah. You know, it was once just as impressive as the Northern Water Tribe. And, you know, that's so it's sad that like, as we know it now, it's like a couple of huts, you know. And it seems like the Southern Waterbenders were more resourceful than the Northern Waterbenders. Because Paku didn't teach uh, Katara how to like pull water out of the air. Yeah. And like to think that there's water everywhere. Yeah. She learned that from, huh? um, Yeah. What's her name? Hama. Hama. Yeah. Um, also, we see uh, we see the ship. Yeah, we see that, that put the ship up. Yeah. yeah. Call back to the first episode. 
Um, Which just goes back to just show how everything was planned. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's really, really good. Um, Yeah, but it's just, it's sad how much was lost in the Southern Water Tribe because they just stole, they just stole like swaths and swaths of people. And um, yeah, and, and, you know, I do feel bad for Hama. Like that's not a good situation to be in. And she clearly, you know, was not treated well. Um, but she's like, I can't tell any more stories. It hurts too much. But Katara, when tomorrow morning, I'll, I'll give you some like waterbending tips. And like you said, she teaches Katara to, um, pull water from, you know, the air to pull water from the flowers, which is ingenious. Yeah. You know, and Katara's like, yeah, that guy in the swamp was able to control the plants that way. And the thing that I really like about this episode is that the music is so good in this episode at giving you hints. Mm-hmm. Like when Hama shows the water on her fingertips and then it turns to ice, the music is very sinister. Mm-hmm. And then it goes away. Like just a little hint that maybe something's not okay. And, right. you know, um, Hama s- shows us the the fire lilies and she's like, yeah, I kind of always like these flowers. And then she just steals the water with no remorse. And Katara's like, oh, that's, that's kind of sad. And Hama's like, who cares? They're just flowers. They're just flowers, yeah. Like, you know, to quote another TV show, um, you know, Hama's methods are really cool and innovative and clever. What she does is bad. Like, cool motive, still murder. Um, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I kind of, I'm kind of on Hama's side, to be honest with you. Well, we'll we'll talk about it. Mm. Um, But basically, like, you know, they, the, the rest of the gang, besides Katara, Starts hearing about people disappearing. And Toph is like, yeah, I heard screaming under the mountain. And they run into this old man who tells them that he was like possessed and he had to make his way up to the mountain. And then he was able to get away because the sun came up. And so they're like, oh, we have to go to the mountain. There are like people trapped there. So they're trying to figure out what's going on. They think it's a spirit, you know, Toph is like, maybe it's the moon. And Sokka's like, the moon is a nice lady. (laughs) She is gentle and kind and beautiful. And she would never do such a thing. Yeah. (laughs) But basically they get up there and there is a tunnel and there are people trapped. And they realize that it's um, Hama doing it, though they don't exactly know how yet. So Toph stays with the um, Fire Nation citizens and helps break them out. And Sokka and Aang rush to Katara. And it's the full moon. and. Hama basically explains the rest of the story that she was imprisoned for years, kept away from any water, and she was able to kind of understand and figure out that there's water in the human body. So using rats, she was able to kind of learn how to blood bend and mm-hmm. control people's blood and their bodies. And so when she was powerful enough in it, she, you know, was able to escape and basically walk free. And so now she basically kidnaps people. Um, I don't, does she she kill them? I don't think they ever tell you what she does with the people that she captures. I guess she just keeps them prison, in prison like she was. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So Katara's like, that's bad. That's not good. I don't want to learn how to bloodbend. I don't want to do that. Um, Couple of things, couple of things. One, speaking from a, you know, if we want to, you know, play devil's advocate and think about and be the bad guy for a second, why was Hama allowed to live so long? What was the point of allowing her to live for decades? In prison? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Why Why did they do that? Why did they need her alive? Why did they need any of them alive? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if they... Because once they figured out that maybe and that none of these waterbenders were the Avatar, they should have just been dead. They should have been dead. You know, there was no reason to keep them alive. But that wasn't a... They weren't searching for the Avatar. Oh, they weren't? No, they were just like just wiping out waterbenders. Oh, I thought it was because they killed all the airbenders and there weren't any... And the Avatar hadn't appeared, so they assumed that it was in the waterbending tribes. Mm -mm. They just just wanted to... Because Sosa knew that the last Avatar is the last airbender. Yeah. And Sosa died looking for Aang. Yeah. Um, And I only say that because... We we later learned that the um the firebender who killed Kaya was specifically there to kill the last Southern Water Tribe waterbender. Oh yeah. They never explained as to why they were wiping out 
the Southern Water Tribe. Be- I Just mean, to, you know, stop any resistance or opposition. Yeah, I guess yeah. to assert their dominance. Yeah. Because the Northern Water Tribe was too powerful. Yeah. But, yeah, they would just... If yeah, I don't know why they allowed her to live so long so that she could learn how to bloodbend. Yeah. There's no reason. You brought this on yourself. So the thing is, okay. I'm not, like, mad at Hama for learning how to bloodbend. That is the act of a desperate woman. Mm. And I don't blame her for using everything in her disposal to get away. But the thing is that I think is so important is... And I'm bringing, I'm, I'm going to bring up Jet because Hama is the idea of what happens when you let anger and pain and revenge control your life. Because she escaped and she could have gone anywhere. She could have gone back to the Southern Water Tribe to help her people, you know, to teach Katara, you mm. know, or if there had been any other, you know, you know, uh, waterbenders there. She could have gone to the Northern Water Tribe to be safe, you know. She could have gone to the Earth Kingdom to just start a new life. But instead, she chooses to stay in the place that enslaved her because she wants to hurt them like they hurt her. Right. And like, again, I don't blame her for her anger, for her pain. I don't even blame her for wanting to seek revenge. But she lets it consume her to the point of she's hurting an innocent person like Katara Forcing her to do something she doesn't want to do. She's willing to hurt two more innocent people, Sokka and Aang, who have nothing to do with it by making them fight each other. And she's kidnapping innocent Fire Nation people. Those people that she's kidnapping, they are not her age. They were not there when she was enslaved. Mm. They were, if they were there, they were kids or they weren't even born yet. I, I, I'm not trying to say that like, oh, the people in the Fire Nation are completely innocent of the crimes that like the generals did because that's a very slippery slope to go down. Like the Fire Nation citizens were complicit in the atrocities, Mm. but like not these ones that she's kidnapping. They're all like younger. They're all like, you know, when they're like, I mean, I don't know for sure, but they all look like they're in their like 20s and 30s. Right. Like the only one who's like her age was old man Ding. (laughs) Why do they call me that? <laughs> um, so it's not like these people were responsible for her imprisonment and torture. You know, what is she gaining by imprisoning and torturing them? You know, because the thing the thing about revenge is. It's a very popular quote, but when you seek revenge, you dig two graves, one for them and one for yourself, because the thing about revenge is that you will never be satisfied. Mm. You will never be satisfied. With revenge. Um, you know, like to bring up uh, a really good movie, The Princess Bride. Have you ever seen The Princess Bride? Um, no. <gasps> what did you live under a rock? Um, hey! Hey! <laughs> um, but in The Princess Bride, there is a character who has made it his life's goal to get revenge on the man who killed his father. It, it's been his life's goal for like 20 something years, right? And at the end, he finally is able to fight that man and kill him. And what does he say when he kills the man who killed his father? He says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Killing him, killing the six-fingered man who killed his father, Mm -hmm. definitely, I think, helped. It helped ease his soul a little bit, but it doesn't bring his father back. Hama, or Hama um, hurting all these people is not going to erase the trauma that happened. And she can... And she can, and and Katara later learns this. She right. has to learn this too. Hama could kill every Fire Nation soldier that there is. It's still not going to make her pain disappear because she has chosen to let it consume and infect her. And it's it's really sad because Jet, you know, he was kind of in that same boat where he was letting his anger and his pain and his resentment consume his lust for revenge and he was slowly on a path to like away from that and he was tragically killed and so i think through jet and through hama there's a very important lesson to be learned about you know understanding your pain and your anger but letting it go or using it in a positive way and not letting revenge consume your life because hama ends up right back where she started in jail and Jet dies tragically. Well, the reason why I say, like, I'm on homicide, kind of, mm-hmm. is because, what, she was in prison for, like, 30-plus years? Yeah. Something like that. After, 
after that amount of time, I feel like you're too far gone. I don't, I don't agree with how she executed it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not really speaking on life. Just yeah. staying within um, the realm of the show. Yes. So this is not how I feel outside. Yeah. Uh, but if you're going to stay in the, okay. If she's going to stay in the Fire Nation, she, she could have, she could have like infiltrated yeah. the main island be where Ozai is. Yeah. She could have done so much. She could have literally killed the people who directly hurt her. Yeah. But instead she chooses to like be in this little random town and just like hurt random people. Yeah. Like that I don't agree with. Yeah. Like that's, that's the problem when you, when you are so far gone like that, you don't understand, you don't see reason. You just want to hurt people. Oh yeah. You just want to hurt people like they hurt you. It doesn't matter who's in front of you. Um, And it's sad because she could have, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying that like, oh, she should have been able to snap right back. Like, that's not what I'm saying, but she made it worse on herself. Mm. You know, she chose to do that. She could have left. She could have gone back to the Southern Water Tribe. She could have been with her people. She could have moved on in, in some kind of way, you know, um, but she chooses pain and, you know, it, it's sad. It's, it's really sad. I mean, she becomes a different person. So. Yeah. I, I could see it in her head is like, what's the point of going back? Like, I'm I'm not going to enjoy it the same way. I'm not going to ever be happy again. Yeah. And that it, it's kind of. It's kind of confirmed at the end when. They take her off to jail. I'm thinking, what's the point of like putting her back in jail? She's going to get out again with bloodbending. But it's the fact that she said my work here is done. Yeah. Her whole. Ent- if. If um if the gang never showed up, she would have just kept doing this, kept doing this until she died. Yeah. But the fact that when she sees Katara and like Katara's a waterbender, she's teaching Katara all the stuff. I think it uh, everything shifted in her mind. It went from I'm just gonna keep doing this till I die to I'm gonna pass this on to you now. Yeah. You're whether gonna, you want it or not. Whether you want it or not, you're gonna carry my work. And essentially Katara does. Yeah. In in a Against way. Against her will, yeah. Yeah. So uh, she, I think she's okay going back in jail now because yeah. she's like, listen, like I I did what what could be done. Yeah. So honestly, Hama's like the worst person in the show. Yeah. For making Katara do that. Yeah. It's a very dark moment. This is probably like the darkest. Yeah. The, the darkest moment ever in just children television in history. Yeah. Gravity Falls is a close second. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> very yeah. close second, but this um, is dark. Yeah. I will say though, Katara is really badass. Like she, when when the boys are being controlled, she's like doing all this stuff to like not hurt them but get them out of the way. And I love that the boys are like, "It's okay, Katara. It's okay. You can throw me throw me into a tree. It's fine." <laughs> Something else that's also just like crazy is Hama never taught Katara how to bloodbend. She just was explaining how she like realized and learned but she never taught katara and katara's able to do it like katara's power it, her power like i understand it's the full moon so she's more powerful but like whoa it's because she has the best of both worlds like she learned from master paku and now she just learned what she learned from hama yeah but hama never actually like taught her anything well because being being a waterbender master already yeah. I'm pretty sure she was just able to... She was able to pick it up. Yeah, that's but that's what's so, like, crazy to me, that mm. she was... She never had to learn, like, a form or anything. She was just like, and I can do it now. <laughs> yeah, she's the greatest waterbender to ever Oh, live yeah, in definitely, the... definitely. Um, mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and now Katara has that skill. And, you know, it's clear that she doesn't really like it. But something, something that I couldn't help but think of was there was this, like, TikTok that I saw... Um, that was like this girl um, and she was like, oh, if you could be any kind of bender, what kind of bender would you be? And then she like pretends to be somebody else. And she's like, I would be a waterbender so I could be a bloodbender. And then she goes, bitch, you can't even parallel park. You think you would be a bloodbender? That is a high level <laughs> skill. Damn. Yeah. But so. the thing the thing is that I think people forget is one, you can only bloodbend on the full moon. Currently. We're not talking about Korra. You can only bloodbend <laughs> on the full moon. Right. And two, 
the emotional toll that that takes on a person is not to be underscored. Like, literally all Katara did was stop Hama to prevent her from hurting her brother and Aang. And it, like, you know, and it really upsets her. So, like, for someone to just casually bloodbend, that's that's got to be a real emotional toll, you know? That's not an easy thing to be able to do to control someone like that, mm-hmm. you know? You've got to be prepared for what that does to you as the person controlling, you know? But this is a crazy episode. Yeah. They should have just listened to Toph and Sokka the whole time, man, I tell you. They were saying, we, we got to yeah. get out. People screaming on the mountain. This, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, and then, it, and then it goes back to, well, uh, I don't know if the next episode is like cute. It has some funny moments. It's an acid trip. Yeah, a little bit. Nightmares yeah. and daydreams. Um, One, koala sheep are very cute. The what? Koala sheep. The oh. little sheep. The koala oh. sheep. They're cute. I didn't even notice that they were koala sheep. I just yeah, thought they were sheep. sheep. Okay. They got the little noses. Um. <laughs> so yeah, so they get to the island where everyone's going to meet for the invasion and they're there early. So everyone's like, great, we can just sleep. And Aang is so anxious and so scared that he cannot sleep and he mm. just keeps having all these nightmares. The first one is a Dragon Ball Z parody <laughs> where he forgets his pants. Yeah. <laughs> um... And the second one is, I feel like it was more of like a Naruto parody, especially with the movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one, Aang did not study for his math test. <laughs> and then the last one, I, I couldn't figure out what it was meant to be like a parody of. But I was reading some like stuff about this episode and there were, and in general, there were nods or homages to like, um, you know, like uh, shampoo, like you were saying, and they said Cowboy Bebop. There was like some homage to that. Okay. And then like another anime called FCLC, FLCL, some of that. Another, I don't, I don't know those animes, but like, it was definitely like a loving little tribute or homage to like other animes and stories at the time. I could see the shampoo. Yeah. Bebop, I'm not too sure. But. I was just, I just, that's what I read. I don't mm. know how true it is. Um, I was like on the wiki and I was like, let me look this up. Mm. Um, yeah. So Aang is just having uh, nightmares. Meanwhile, Zuko is living in a daydream. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, Ooh. Yeah. Clever. He's, uh, he's basically the prince and everything's fine and he's living his life. And I think this episode is so important to Zuko because it's, it's showing him what his life would be like. What his life would have been like if he either A, hadn't spoken up at that war meeting, or B, had captured the Avatar, like, earlier. Um, and so he gets, like, this this rare, rare opportunity to see what his life would be like. And um, and if, if, if it's what he really wants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's hope that when he becomes Fire Lord, everything gets less ridiculous, because <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Oh, what do you mean? Just like the whole like spiel of him like getting up and like everybody does one thing. Uh. And it's like, you know, oh, that's exhausting. Like, that's so annoying. And then like he gets out and they're like, oh, don't you want to take the palaquin? And he's like, I'm just going to May's house. And then the joke is that it's like right across the street. <laughs> you can't be walking. No, sir. Yeah. Mark Aram Hill does a lot of voice voice work on this episode because he's the servant. Oh, is he? Yeah. I didn't know that. I just knew he was Ozai, obviously. Oh, obviously. Um, yeah. Who is who's May staying with? Her parents are still in Omashu, right? Are who they? is she staying with? Who's she living with? She's only like a kid. She's seventeen. I don't know. I guess being friends with Ozula has its perks. Yeah. So maybe she could just Unless she has like another relative or something that's like yeah, she's staying with. Maybe. It's, not, it's not important. Mm. It cuts back to Aang, and I feel so bad for him because he's under so much pressure. He's this, he's a kid, he's a kid, and he's under so much pressure to, at this point, like, kill the Fire Lord and just bring peace and unity back to the world. And that's a lot to ask of him, and he obviously does not feel prepared. Like, he doesn't know firebending, and he's, like, only just become, like, skilled at waterbending and earthbending, and, and... It's so, it's really like, it's kind of sad because, you know, all of his friends are like, Ang, you need to calm down. You need to go to sleep. And he can't. He physically can't. And, you know, he, 
he just keeps freaking out and having all these ridiculous dreams and he needs to study for his math test. <laughs> it is, it is, um, the way that they talk about anxiety and sleep deprivation. Yeah. He has bag under his eyes. I know. That's why sleep is important, kids. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting contrast to Aang's usually carefree attitude. Yeah. It's like the minute that he learned that the invasion is in four days, he's, he completely... Freaks out, yeah. Yeah, it does a complete 180. Yeah. Um, When he freaks out and he's just doing all this training and then he comes back, it's nighttime again. Uh, when he comes and says goodnight to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep already. Yeah. Good night, Appa and Momo. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, like, punching trees, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, anyone who doesn't like Mako needs to watch this episode because they are very, very sweet together, Mei and Zuko. Yeah, I really love Mei in this episode. Yeah, because you can see that she's really trying yeah. to, like, you know, open up and be there for him because, like, obviously what he said to her at the beach is still in, in like, resonating inside of her. So she's being a lot more affectionate. She's being, you know, more romantic. Yeah. She, which is great. I think that's a good thing that she's trying to open up to him. I mean, it sucks because he's being an emo boy, but, like, you know. <laughs> what you gonna do? Um, But Zuko's also learning, too, because he asks her what she wants. And then he gets her what she wants. He doesn't just assume. He <laughs> asks her and she wants a fruit tart. Um, character development. Yes, character development. It. Like, you can see that they, that yes, their their conversations are still a little shallow. Like, they're not really talking about deep stuff yet. Mm-hmm. But they're getting there. And they're, and they're trying to make it work. And they do genuinely care about each other. And I love that. Ugh, I love Zuko and May together. I think they're so cute. Um, cut back to Aang. He has another nightmare. <laughs> And he's like, Sokka, you have to get better at climbing. And Sokka, bless his heart, is like, okay, I guess I'm going to climb. Like, <laughs> he doesn't have to. No. He could just tell Aang, relax, like Katara and Toph do. But instead, he's like, no, Aang is worried, so I'm going to climb this mountain. <laughs> stupid avatar, stupid yeah. dream. Like, you got to love that. Um, <laughs> and then Toph drinking water. Yeah. It's like, no, we died because of your tiny bladder. <laughs> and you need to start wearing your hair more up because you got caught by a train and <laughs> like, damn, everything's well, so elaborate. Yeah. But, you know, this episode really brings home that he's like a kid. Yeah. You know, he's a kid and he's panicking. He's a child, your honor. You know, he he's under so much pressure. And, and I think Aang knows inside of himself that he's not ready. And that's why he's freaking out. Because mm-hmm. later on. In the show, when it really comes down to, well, now it's time to fight, he doesn't panic. Not as much. Mm. He definitely, he, he, he like disappears and does all that stuff. But like here he's like panicking. And I think it's because he knows deep down that he's not ready. Um, and he was right. He was right. He was absolutely right. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I love um, Appa sleeping like a little pill bug. It's a <laughs> when he's holding little, his tail. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, but Aang is just so sleep deprived and he's like hallucinating and um, he has this moment where he talks to Katara and he basically tells her that he loves her. Baby, you're my forever girl. <laughs> what a moment. It is. It's such a sweet moment. I know it's meant to be like kind of a parody of like romance movies and that big scene, but like it, I still think it's sweet. Baby, you're my forever girl. Like, oh, that's adorable. Did you know that? Before it got to that part saying that when he said baby, because the baby was like a complete, that, that was, that was, that was very telling that this yeah. is not real. Yeah. But before that, did you think this was a solution? Like, uh. No, not until he said like, you know, baby, you're my forever girl. Okay. I, yeah. You thought they were like really kissing and everything? Before? Uh, or no? Uh, you know what? Actually, when I realized that I was like, oh, this is probably hallucination. After they kissed for the first time and Katara's like, well, I don't know, but I want to keep like doing it or whatever. <laughs> what I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is definitely not real. This is a dream. Because um, like, th- I feel like there would have been a little more resistance, like a little more like what? As we later see. Um, right. <laughs> when um, when he snaps out of it and Katara asks him, oh, like, what were you thinking about? And he said, living underwater. I couldn't help but think, oh, so um, basically you were swimming good. Anyone who gets that reference, we could be friends. So, um, Zuko and May are like hanging out, chilling out, Max and relaxing, all cool. Um, 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah. And uh, May mentions that there's like a war meeting and Zuko's like, well, I, I wasn't invited. Why wasn't I invited? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I don't know. Maybe. Why does it matter? Like, you, you don't want to go. Why do you care? And so he runs to Azula and, and he's like, how come I wasn't invited? And Azula's like, I don't know. You're the prince. I guess they just assumed that you would be going. And he was like, well, they didn't invite me, so I'm not going to go. And she's like, fine, Zuko, do whatever you want. Like, yeah. Azula does not care. <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny because, like, I feel like now that they're together again, Azula and Zuko have kind of become that, like, sibling relationship where they just, like, don't care about each other. They're just like, whatever. I don't like you. Do whatever you want. Like, yeah. just get out of my face, Zuko. <laughs> like, stop go being... be emo somewhere else. Honestly. I love how he asks, were you invited? And he's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm the princess. <laughs> of course I was. <laughs> and he's like, what? Like, you, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, yeah. Also, the, like that like spa thing that, that they're doing where they're like brushing her hair, that seems so nice. It seems relaxing. Oh, man. I just, I need, I need that right now. I really, really do. Mm. That like, that feeling of someone like washing your hair and cutting your hair. Oh, I love that. I mm. love the feeling of somebody like washing and cutting my hair. <sighs> need a spa day. Yeah. And it, it sucks right now because you really can't do that. The last time, the last time I got my hair cut was over the summer. My friend did it in the backyard. So I, I didn't get the whole experience. She did a good job though, but mm-hmm. yeah, I want to get my hair cut and I want like the whole experience. Zuko's like, fine, I won't go to the meeting. And then it's a little bit later and he's with May and they're like, Zuko, where are you? We want you at the meeting. Your father is waiting for you. He says he won't start the meeting until you get there. And, and this is like a dream to Zuko. This is all, this is what he always wanted, you know, for his father to care and respect him. And so he goes to the meeting, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, May's like, this is great. This is what you said you wanted. Like, have fun at the meeting, you know, and, and, you know, you can kind of see that the uncertainty in Zuko, I think, you know? Yeah. And then when he comes out of the meeting, May's like, how was it? Like, how do you feel? And he's like, I was the perfect prince. I was my father's right hand. And it. It was not like I thought it was going to be, you know, it, it wasn't the way that, that I thought I would enjoy it, you know, because I think what Zuko learns in this episode is, is that he has to figure out who he is and who he wants to be, you know, and that, that this idea that he had in his head of who he's supposed to be is not the truth. And, you know, there, there it is, Zuko. There's all you ever wanted, and he doesn't want it anymore. You know, he he's a different person, and he's changed. And you know, he has to now find his own path. You know, he now knows like who he is as a person, which is really interesting. Even though we don't see what the meeting was about in this yeah. episode, we see uh, later down, way later, like near the last episode. Yeah. But the whole thing was um, their plan to uh, how how they're gonna use Sosan's comment and how they're gonna like basically massacre everybody. Yeah. Um. In the first war meeting, whatever that Zuko uh, participated in, he spoke out when uh, the fire general was saying, "Oh yeah, let's just put out our our new recruits as like bait or whatever." Yeah. As like a shield. As a shield. And Zuko last year was like, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Like, there are people. They um, signed up to fight for us. I could just betray them like that. He spoke out. Yeah. In this meeting, when um, when they're talking about decimating the entire Earth kingdom, he doesn't speak out. He, he Like you said, he says he was the perfect prince. He just sat there and he was like, nah, this shit ain't it. Yeah. This is not me. So th- this that's the moment that we see um zuko's redemption arc really start yeah this is the moment yeah because i mean he he's a different person now yeah you know the three years at sea and then the year kind of chasing ang and then living in the earth kingdom he can't go back to who he was he's a different person now he's a better person now you know i i don't know if i would say his redemption arc is starting i think it's just continuing and Mm. this is a very important moment in it 
there's a loud car noise. Yeah. Um, this is just, this is a turning point for him. You know, mm. he can't keep going on pretending that he can just step back into his role and everything will be fine. You know, it, it's not who he is. You know, it, he's not Ozai's son anymore. You know, if yeah. anything, he's Iroh's son. Yeah. You know, basically. And, you know, that that shot of him looking up at the like the tapestry of his father and realizing that's not who he wants to be is so moving. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really great. Um, back to Aang, he is hallucinating, he's overtraining, he's, you know, exhausting himself, you know, he tries yoga, doesn't work, he, uh, tries, like, talk therapy with Dr. Wang Fire, does not work, uh, he screams into a pillow, which is a koala sheep, it's very funny, um, and he has these, like, really, really crazy dreams, where, like, he sees all of his friends being hurt and he can't move. And he he gets so, like, delusional at one point that Momo and Appa start talking and fighting. And it's an epic battle. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Before we, we even get there, just when everybody is expressing their concern for Aang. Yeah. It goes from Katara. Katara. It goes to Sokka. It goes to Toph. And then when it pans again, when I first watched this. As a kid, when it panned to Appa and Appa started talking, I died yeah. laughing. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was like, it's getting out of hand. We are concerned about you. Like, this is not healthy whatsoever. Yeah. I, I couldn't. Oh, my God. My guts were hurting. Yeah. Um, it, it's very but, funny. It's very funny. <laughs> when uh, when Appa was just like, you know, no, 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 no. I'm sick and tired of him always saying something. He's going to get it. He's like, no, no, come on. Come on, buddy. And, um. They're just in, like, full-on shogun samurai yeah. outfits, duking it out. Yeah. Appa has the four swords. The four swords. I kind of like how this hallucination kind of, like, gives a little sneak peek to what um, Appa's armor is going to look like. Yeah. Just a tiny bit. Yeah, a little bit. And it's just, it's so crazy. And I feel like the way that they really, like, illustrated Aang's, um, like, hallucinations was really clo- cool and, and interesting to watch. Like, they had all the koala sheep. And they had the tree with Ozai's face on it, like, dancing and everything. And they had the rocks and, the, you know, it mm. was just really, really cool. It was very freaky, but, like, in a really interesting way. Yeah. They, it's all. And then, like, freaking uh, Guru Patik. Yeah. It was, it was an acid dream. Yeah. The whole thing was just. You know, he just, that's that's why you got to go to sleep. Mm. And um, they're fighting. And Egg's like, stop it. <laughs> and then because his friends love him and care about him. They make him a really soft bed. So he's finally able to go to sleep. Mm. And he has one last dream where he's confronted by the Fire Lord. And he says what I think is like the best line in the whole show. No, Fire Lord Ozai, you're not wearing pants. (laughs) (laughs) What? No. Ah. Ah, I die every time. It's so (laughs) funny. (laughs) You don't have your pants on. Man, the... um. And it's like symbolic of egg, like overcoming his anxiety. It's really sweet. Yeah. The way everything ends. <laughs> um, very uh, Ham Hill's performance is very joke Joker esque. Yeah, in this laugh. in this part, especially during the like other dreams. Yeah, because he's supposed to be more of a caricature. Right. Um. Yeah. Is, yeah. Exactly. I didn't think about that. Yeah. When uh, when they revealed the bed and it's like, hey, we put a lot of work into it, and they just slowly pan to the um the koala sheep and they're just shivering, just like, <laughs> and it's very quick too. It's like it's not like they like stay on it. Yeah. it they pan and it's, it goes yeah. away. You just see them just, just kind of just like looking at them sideways, like yeah, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, but it works. Ang is able to go to sleep mm. and have a peaceful dream where he's able to. You know, calm down and get some rest yeah. for the big invasion that's happening the next day. The next episode. <laughs> yeah. We're getting there. Mm-hmm. We're really getting there. But yeah, I think this um this episode is just a really important episode. Um because like I said, it's important for Aang because it kind of gives you the idea that like he knows that he's not ready and he's panicking. But it's also important for Zuko because it kind of shows him that, you know, what he wanted isn't actually what he wants you know i think about the uh you know the musical wicked yes so like you know in the song like to find gravity um where glinda's like 
you can have all you ever wanted. Mm -hmm. And Elf was like, but I don't want it. I can't want it anymore. And then she sings to find gravity. That was Zuko. That, that was, was Zuko. Zuko. That was exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like what the, how the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything else before we say goodbye? Um, nah. Yeah, I think we covered everything. Yeah. All the funny moments, all the sad moments. Yeah. The crazy moments. And, um, and just seeing, just, okay, I guess one last thing. Just seeing, uh, to what you were saying, how when Zuko was looking at, uh, the, uh, the picture of Ozai, um, I couldn't help but think, about the line that we hear way, way later down the book of when uh, Zuko and Iroh get back together. And I was just was just saying that I was afraid that you lost your way. Like, mm -hmm. I was never mad at you. I was just afraid that you lost your way. And up until that point, that fear was very much so uh, justified. Because mm -hmm. it did seem as though Zuko lost his way. Yeah. And just to think, if he never went to that war meeting... He still would have, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. So it just it took it took that war meeting. It took him being the perfect prince, not speaking up when he felt like he should have, to realize that yeah, yeah, I'm on the wrong path. Mm -hmm. So it it just makes Iroh's um their moment that more impactful and that yeah. more emotional. Yeah. Aw. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. For those who are watching on our YouTube channel. Um, you can find us on anywhere where there are <laughs> where you can find a podcast. Yep. Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, all that jazz. All right. So uh, we'll see you next episode mm -hmm. where we discuss the invasion. Yeah, the invasion. All right. See ya. Bye.